Welcome to episode 11 of The Funding Coach. My name is Don Gooding, and I'm the founder of Four Colors of Money for Entrepreneurs, a blog, podcast, training videos, and other resources, all designed to help you figure out what's the right mix of bootstrapping, grants, loans, and equity, and especially figure out what you should be doing now to get the right color of money for you. Here on The Funding Coach, I help real businesses with real funding problems so that you can figure out how to start and grow your business. In this episode, I interview Joe Walsh of Green Clean Maine, a home cleaning service that's been around for more than a decade after launching with the help of a small grant. But Joe has some big ideas for his small business. We talked about a lot of things, so this show's a little bit longer than usual, but I think you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say as much as I did. Joe Walsh of Green Clean Maine, welcome to The Funding Coach. Hey, thanks for having me on, Don. So we've known each other, I think, for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Could you start off for the audience just to give a little bit of background of what you were doing prior to starting Green Clean Maine? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am originally from Rhode Island, and I was living and working in Rhode Island working at the University of Rhode Island, actually, uh, but really knew that I wanted to get into sustainable business. I was really fascinated with the idea of working in that, that place where a profitable business can create environmental benefit. So that kind of intersection of environmental benefit and profitability is something I was super interested in. And so I moved to Maine to actually take a job with the Sunrise Guide, which at the time didn't exist yet as a startup. Um, And it's an environmental living lifestyle publication uh, that's published in Portland. And in order to be in the publication, you have to have environmental benefits in some way, whether you're a nonprofit or a business. So I was selling advertising. So I was helping really kind of start that business. I was the first full-time employee. I didn't know that. I I know Heather reasonably well. You and she both went through the Top Gun program back when I was running that. Oh, that's so interesting. So then how did you get from Sunrise Guide over to Green Clean Maine? Well, that's, uh, I got the idea. It just sort of was one of those, like, aha moments. I was, you know, slogging away, selling advertising and, and working very closely with Heather on that. We were actually in the main center for entrepreneurial development when it was over at SMCC. And that's right. where I used before to work my day before your day. I used to work over there. The publication was broken down into different categories like home and garden and travel and transportation, and food and dining. And we had these different categories. And one of the categories was um, home and garden. And in that category was cleaning services. We were trying to find environmentally friendly cleaning services to advertise in our guide. And we, couldn't find any. When I finally got through to an environmentally friendly cleaning service, they said, oh my gosh, I can't imagine advertising. I have so many customers. I'm totally overwhelmed. I couldn't imagine taking any more business. You know, I have to turn off my phone because I have so many people calling me. And I thought, <laughs> well, well, that'll huh. tell you there's a big opportunity, huh? <laughs> Maybe there's an opportunity there. And, you know, while originally when I thought of that intersection of environmental benefit and profitability, I was thinking of 
clean energy, like solar or wind or something like that, I hadn't thought of, certainly hadn't thought of a cleaning service. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized like, hey, this is a business that I can start with very little capital. And there really isn't anyone doing it in this market at, at any sort of scale. If you looked at markets out West, there were franchises and things that were doing this, but nobody was doing it around here at any kind of scale as far as the green cleaning goes. So I just, I applied for a Libra Future Fund grant with a business plan and and got it. That was $5,000. That was my startup money. And I, I, I went for it. Oh, that's terrific. For listeners who don't know what that is, uh, Libra Future Fund, it's a big foundation here in Maine, and they uh, regularly give out $5,000 grants to young entrepreneurs, those who are under 30 years old, who are trying to do some startup here. And and you're in a pretty illustrious group of uh, entrepreneurs here in Maine who've gotten started that way. Yeah, yeah. There's there there's a good group of us. It's it's really fun. Well, that's that's terrific. So, did that five thousand dollars get you started? Just because uh, the cleaning service doesn't take a lot of cash? Yes, I mean, there's a very low barrier to entry. So, to in, to get into cleaning houses in particular, because really all you need is you know a couple of spray bottles, some um, some cloths, a mop, and a vacuum. I mean, it really isn't. It, the the cost of entry is and most of these things people have laying around their house you know right. so for someone with no money to get started it's actually a really great opportunity on the flip side there's people getting into it consistently and right um, low low I, barriers to ent- entry does is a double edged sword in that way it is it is and so you know it's um it's definitely something that is an issue that I deal with constantly because I'm competing as a business now with people who are just, you know, working out of the back of their cars or whatever. So Yeah. So how long ago was that? Uh, that was in the fall of 2007. Well, the spring of 2007 is when I actually got the grant and actually started started the service and started servicing clients in the fall of 2007. So uh, almost 11 years now that you've been up and operating. So where are you now in terms of services, customers, revenue? So this year we'll do somewhere north of 1.8 million. We have 450 subscribing customers, the people who are signed up for weekly or biweekly service. And we have 40 employees. 40 employees. Wow, that's I'm I'm guessing that in the home cleaning business that's actually pretty big. It is. So we're in the top 5% by size of residential cleaning businesses in the country. Wow. It's a, it's a, it is because of the low barrier to entry it, it and also combined with the very personal nature of the business. You know, once somebody has a relationship with their housekeeper, they don't change because it's just very personal. It's a highly fragmented industry, really, really fragmented. So it's it's very difficult to build a business of any you know size. So the people who have done it successfully seem to do it through geographic expansion. You know, got it. So you've been at this for a while, and you've mm-hmm. been. It sounds like you've been steadily growing. Is that a reasonably way to characterize how you've been growing? What what's the annual revenue increase that you have roughly you know, every year? It's it's been somewhere between fifteen and twenty five percent since I opened. Fifteen and twenty five percent per year. Wow. 
Every year, yeah. And it, there was a couple of years there where like we were like 40%, you know, right in the beginning when we're kind of ramping up and uh, and adding a lot of customers. But we'll grow 20% this year over last year. That's and fantastic. Year 15 and change. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, that's terrific. So you've been at this for a long time. What's your current thinking about what you want to do with the business going forwards in terms of growth or product lines or geographic expansion? So at the moment, when I think of the cleaning business, I think of two major um, two major trajectories that could happen at the same time. And this is where funding comes into play. But I actually developed my own product line in the process of building this business because I was going to the store or going to, to commercial suppliers and buying and testing all these different environmentally friendly cleaning products to use in homes. And I couldn't find ones that were both effective and easy on the user. So I could find ones that were technically quote unquote green, but, and worked, but were still kind of caustic and would burn your eyes and make you cough. You're in an enclosed area. So like, even though they're technically, you know, safer than traditional cleaning products, they still were kind of harsh. And on the flip side, I could find products that were totally 100% safe or non-toxic but they weren't effective enough because I needed something from the beginning. I was always, you know, my, my philosophy always was you shouldn't have to sacrifice quality to, to get an environmentally friendly result. So I came up with my own formulas that I basically hand mixed in my kitchen, uh, in my apartment and, 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 uh, came up with these very simple formulas that I've, kind of tweaked over the years. And so now I've got this product line and I'm really excited about the possibility of products. I, I just love that visual. It's a, it's a classic bootstrapping image of it mixing is. together green cleaning formulas in your kitchen sink. Yeah. Are, are you still doing it in your kitchen sink? I'm not doing it. We actually have a one of those nice, big, uh, deep stainless steel, like, you know, professional commercial sinks and um with the big faucet and like the big five gallon carboys and stuff we still make them by hand but it's a little bit nicer of a setup but at the end of the day we're still making the products by hand in our location which i am you know part two of the growth is expanding geographically and in order to do that i can't be hand making cleaning products at every location it just isn't that's not a scalable thing you know there's a couple of reasons to get into the products. One is to just supply my own business with products that are shelf stable and don't need to be handmade. Um, but also, obviously, there's a potential product business here. Got it. I remember you were talking about that a couple of years ago. Are you closer to the point of saying, you know what, I think it's time to launch this as a as a real product in the marketplace? Yes, because I've actually at this point done enough research into contract manufacturers and chemical formulators and things along those lines to kind of figure out how does this actually work to know that I really might be onto something because I'm working on sourcing a detergent that is from a renewable source. And what's really interesting about the detergent business as I've gotten more into the product side of things is it, traditionally, detergents are made from petrochemicals, which obviously is not sustainable right, uh, or environmentally friendly. And then the new trend is making detergents from plant bases. So coconut and corn are two very common base ingredients for detergents now. But 
that's also not very sustainable because you are redirecting food into a consumable like consumer product instead of eating it. And that's not great either. Coconut plantations, it turns out, are actually, they're not the best thing for the environment. You know, they kind of clear cut rainforests and put in coconut plantations. So I don't want to support that either. So it sounds like you found found yet another alternative here. Yeah. So, you know, I'm talking about a a detergent and I'm I'm sort of in a I'm not in a place yet where I'm really talking about it, you but know. That's, that's um, good because you don't want to let the uh, trade secrets out at this point. Right, but I'm talking about a detergent that comes from a completely renewable source. So, it's got this it's got this kind of full circle aspect to it where, you know, the source that we're using for the detergent is right now going to waste. So, it's like something that will that we're actually like making good use of something that right now is just being thrown away. So it's pretty exciting. And I think, hey, no one's doing this. So it reminds me of that same feeling I got when I started the service business. Like, hey, no one's doing this right now. You know, like this is an opportunity. It's the kind of thing where I feel like I could be, you know, potentially bringing something to the marketplace that solves an environmental problem, but is eminently scalable at the same time. And that's like the dream business for me. Well, that's terrific, but it's an entirely different business, I would think. Of course, it's a totally different business. Yeah, you know, but I'm I'm uniquely positioned, right? Because I've been operating a business on the service end of that, actually being an, a professional user of the products, and I come from the professional space, so I really know what it takes for a product to be good you know, and to, and I know what it needs to do and I know the properties it needs to have. And I understand it from that angle and I can talk about it with like, you know, passion and knowledge and, and all that kind of stuff. So, and I also am really involved in the uh, professional association that I'm a part of and can kind of plug in nationally to, I think some pretty exciting distribution opportunities, you know, getting this into the hands of other professional cleaning services, you know, so but I don't want to necessarily – I'm happy selling other cleaning services the products, you know, rather than try to – rather than make my whole play to kind of fight the the deconsolidated nature and, and, and try to help consolidate the industry. Maybe I just say, hey, you know what? This industry is – decentralized. It's the way it is. Let's sell the industry really good products. Well, that's that's really interesting. Now, have you considered in that process – actually having them sell the product to their customers or is or is that not something that makes sense in this particular market um i hadn't thought about that before well i tend to do that and part part of my thinking I, in fact i was just writing something about trying to come up with low cost marketing channels and using customers as channels is one of the ways that you can uh, make things be effective and very low cost. I mean, at the extreme, you have the the things that I'm not really a fan of, the multi-level marketing, where you know, yeah. you, you know, people are using the product and then they're also selling it. But in this case, you know, they're in the business and maybe there's an opportunity. I don't know. I just throw it out there because yeah, that's. You know, oh, you know the, the branding and getting into the distribution channel is often the the part that's the most expensive in launching a product like you're you're thinking about. 
Yeah, and I, I should say too, um, one thing I forgot to mention when I was saying I'm uniquely, uniquely positioned for this is I have a, a built-in test lab in my 40 employee cleaning business for any product I bring out. And I get basically instantaneous feedback. And I'm sure I also you do. Have, <laughs> you know, and I also have customers who are asking me for my products because they want to use it in between cleanings and they want to be able to buy some for their friends. And right now I can't offer it for sale, but because it's not shelf stable and, you know, it kind of spoils after a period of time, which are all chemistry problems that right. are fixable. So, you know, it's like I have this like R&D lab built into my existing service business, which is a really cool opportunity that a lot of people who are just trying to make a cleaning product wouldn't have that kind of built in feedback loop, you know, which I think is pretty cool, too. This episode of The Funding Coach is brought to you by Branding Compass. You probably know that building a brand is important, right? But you don't have tens of thousands of dollars lying around to pay a branding company. And that is why the interactive online tool Branding Compass was created just for companies like you. It's kind of like working with an award-winning branding firm, but for a fraction of the price. Branding Compass walks you through the questions that a branding company would typically ask. And if you need some help on some of those questions, well, Branding Compass includes a course to help you build a stronger brand while you're going through this process. The system provides automated expert advice, so you get really useful output. This includes recommendations for a color palette, typefaces, and imagery, as well as a unique value proposition and even an ideal customer profile. And that's just for the basic version of Branding Compass. If you need more help, you can get it. I was a beta customer for Branding Compass, and I found it extremely helpful. You can see my customer testimonial at brandingcompass.com. And while you're there, sign up for the Branding Compass plan that's right for you and use the coupon code, the funding coach, all one word, all lowercase, to save $10 on any licensing option. So let's talk about funding since uh, this is the funding <laughs> coach. Have you been thinking about different types of funding that might be needed to get this product business off the ground? Well, really, the product business – so the short answer is I haven't yet because the product business is so new and I've just started the process of getting deeper into researching it that I don't really have a clear – the only thing I know I need money for now, Don, is would be formulation, which and there may even be a way around formulation and being able to have someone else do it for me with no cost up front, but then they own the formula, right? Uh, so I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to balance me owning the formula versus the upfront cost. And that's right now would be the big funding question. So you're talking maybe $50,000 to have the formulation work done if I paid a chemist, like a contract chemist to do it. Somewhere between 30 and 50, depending on what happens. Well, what you just described is a perfect example of a main technology institute a seed grant, which comes mm -hmm. in that size increment. I don't know whether that's been on your radar yet. 
But there are lots of organizations like MTI all over, at least the U.S., that love to fund new technology development um, and support, you know, manufacturing or growing businesses. So that's something to think about because that that's not at all unreasonable uh, from their perspective. Okay, well, that's that's a really good idea. And I have heard of it before, but I don't really know, you know, I don't know much about it. So that is really good advice. And right now, that's all I know I need. All right, let me back up. A service business, which is the world I'm in now, I mean, I started cash flowing from day one because I had to pay my bills. So there was no like, oh, I'm going to have a financial runway. You know, this is not not the way. A, a, A mentor of mine recently told me that, the the cleaning business is like my diesel engine, right? It just kind of runs and it just keeps going and it it generates good cash. You know, it's not the kind of business that is, you know, going to have the hockey stick kind of scale. But, you know, it's a it's a it's a good business for cash flow and, you know, stability and that kind of thing. I, I my my thinking is that with the products business, it is going to require more money up front to kind of get things moving. It's going to be something that is going to require maybe some financial runway. I just don't have a number. I can't put a dollar amount on that yet because I'm not that far along. Maybe that's one of the things I can be helpful on is thinking through what are all of those different components and perhaps connect you with some other folks either here in Maine or elsewhere that can help you put together that plan. Have you have you talked to anybody at either SCORE or SBDC to help on help you with that? Because sometimes I know it's a capacity issue. You're you've got a whole business to run. It's like, how do I f- have the time even to figure out this new wonderful thing? Yeah, yeah. So um I have touched base with I have a couple of mentors at SCORE. I work with Nancy and I work with Alan, Nancy Stroney and Alan Shaver over there. And they've been fantastic. Yeah. Um, For me, it's a capacity issue at this particular moment in time because my number two person at Green Clean Maine has been on leave. And so she's coming back in the next month or so. And then I'll be able to kind of turn a little bit of my attention towards this. Makes total sense. You know, that that's kind of been so I've been, you know, really focusing on the service side in a little bit more of the day to day than I've been accustomed to in the past couple of years, because um, I have a great I have a great team here who really runs the service side of things for me. And this is a new market that doesn't necessarily have a time urgency to it. There are lots of other new ideas that people come up with where it's like, oh my gosh, I've got a two-year window and I've got to move in. Mm. What you're talking about is a market that's been around forever, really. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you've identified a need in the market. You know it well. Nobody else has figured it out, at least as far as you can tell. And so whether you do it in three months or in nine months probably doesn't make a huge difference. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, although I do want to say that I I look back at the last 10 years, and while I'm really thankful for everything this business has taught me and everything I've learned, just kind of clawing my way up from absolutely nothing, you know, I had two clients and I was doing all the, I was cleaning, scrubbing floors and cleaning toilets myself and everything for years. That's not the approach I want to take with my next venture, you know, so I, while I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in like kind of going out and raising venture capital and, and sort of going that far. I also want to use, I'm more willing now than I was 
11 years ago to use capital to get me to where I want to be faster. Yeah, you had said in an email as we were setting up this uh, call that you felt that capital was constraining your thinking. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, so um, I went to the, actually on your recommendation, Don, I, I applied and was admitted to the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. That's an awesome program. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I've stayed involved in, in, the, in the group and, and in the program, and it's, it's been really great. When I was there in that program, which was a couple of years ago now, I think, or actually it was last year. Was, um, but when I was in the program, they basically did an exercise where they removed the constraining of your thinking around funding. So they said, if I wrote you a check for $5,000 today, what would you do with it? And you had to kind of go through and say, in your business, what would I do? And then they said, okay, what if that check was $50,000? And you know, well, if I had $50,000, I would do, you know. And then they went all the way up to $50 million. So they just kept adding you know, zeros on the end. What would you do if you had all this money? And what that exercise taught me, and it, st it really stuck with me, is that I have a vision for where I think my service business could go and where I think this products business could go. And gosh knows whatever other ideas I have, you know, at my kitchen table or when I'm brushing my teeth, that's when all the great ideas come. You know, I realized that I have a vision, but I don't talk about it or try and push it forward because I immediately jump to how am I going to pay for that or how am I going to justify all that expense to you know put all these people in place to realize this big vision. And it's capital. It's my thinking around capital that is really constraining my thinking and my you know willingness to kind of push forward. So if I can be like more specific on the service side of things, I definitely know that my service business is structured and has the potential to grow, to continue to grow quite a bit. But if we keep growing at 20% a year, it's going to be seven more years before we hit $5 million. I've done the math on that. Right. You know, and, and when you hit $5 million in revenue, you're at an inflection point and just in the type of business that you have and kind of the, the things you can do with it and the kind of revenue you can generate for the owner. And so I know I want to get to the 5 million mark with this business at least, but I don't want to take seven years to do it. I really want to look at acquisitions because that's really in my mind right now how you can expand in the service business. Because if I wanted to start in Portsmouth, which I do, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, like start a branch in Portsmouth, I if I went there and started it from scratch, that would take a long time for me to build that up to a $2 million branch. But if I can find something that I can buy that's already doing a million dollars and just build on that, now the growth, you know, speed changes and changes with, you know, pretty significantly. But I need funding to do that, you know. So funding for acquisitions is another thing that I'm, you know, interested in figuring out, navigating. Well, I can be of some help. Uh, I, I will definitely say that's not my area of expertise, but I do know a number of people who are familiar with that process. And I'd say probably in the world of Harvard MBA-ish kind of folks, this mm. is exactly the kind of thing that they love to be able to think about. And in fact, mm. in the world of private equity, I don't know if you've heard the term roll up. Do you know? Have you heard that term? I have heard that term, like rolling up like different service businesses. I've heard it in reference to the service industry. Yes, exactly. Well, private 
equity folks, there are some who really like to do roll-ups of a highly fragmented industry. So mm. it could well be that your service business, in order to reach the trajectory you would like, would be a good fit for the private equity world. Uh, there's mm. actually uh, somebody who I just talked to who he's come from both venture capital as well as private equity backed companies. He's kind of looking for what to do next. I'll make sure I connect you with him because he's cool. got an interesting perspective on what it's like to work in a company that's first funded by venture capital. And then on the other hand, other companies uh, with private equity. It's mm. it's a different animal and it may be a more perhaps of a cultural fit of what you're trying to do. And actually- let me just step back for big, big picture. What is it that you actually do want to do? I mean, what 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 does success look like for you, Joe Walsh, personally? So, my my mission, which has just really come into focus in the last month or so, so this is really exciting for me to talk about, and 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 it's new, but it's not new, but. When I applied to Top Gun in 2016 and went through the program, that was the beginning, really, of me trying to figure out what the heck to do now. Because I, my goal with Green Clean Maine was to get to a million dollars in revenue because I knew that at a million dollars in revenue, I'd be able to have middle management in place and I could kind of have a self-running company. So I achieved that to a certain extent. And I'm still learning and there's still a lot of work I need to do. And it's not, you know, it's not like it's perfect and I can put a bow on it and put it on the shelf. I mean, that, that never happens, but it never does, no matter what size you are. You know, I, I, I kind of achieved what my original goal was, and it's taken me two years to kind of figure out, well, what am I doing now? You know, because I just sort of, you know, you have your head down and you're pushing and you're pushing. And now that I can actually get my head above water and breathe, like, well, what do I want to do? And so I've really figured it out for what my personal mission is. And it really comes back to the original concept that I talked about in the beginning of my interview. And to me, I think it's surprising that it took me so long to basically come back around to what my original motivation was in the first place. But I also think that that journey is important because I needed that journey to kind of clarify, you know, what my mission is in life. But really, I want to continuously create and build profitable enterprises that solve an environmental problem of some kind. They work at that intersection of where you can harness the power of business and the power of capitalism to create net environmental benefit. And there's also a social aspect to that, too. So one of the things I love about my service business is I can picture a service business, a, you know, green, clean, Maine, that would be all over New England, let's say, like a regional, uh, a regional service provider, let's say. And we are known not only for the type of service that we provide, but we're kind of an, a training and empowerment organization for our employees. And we already do this, but I'm passionate about that too. We really give people opportunity they would not otherwise have. And so I love that piece of it. And so that also gets me excited. So my vision and my, my vision of success is to continuously build and grow these companies that operate in that area, that, that create an environmental benefit and in some in some way that's elegant and creates value in the market. Hence, you know, you have a profitable enterprise. This makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it's very exciting for you to lift your head up and say, hey, the, I, it's time for me to actually do what I originally said I was going to do. And, yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now you can. Yeah. 
just a couple things pop into my head. First of all, I don't know if you know Jay Friedlander at College of the Atlantic. I don't. Uh, College of the Atlantic is this little boutique college up in Bar Harbor, Maine, and yep. they just have one major. Uh, but Jay, who was trained at Babson, which is a great uh, college for entrepreneurship, he is mm. focused on building sustainable businesses that are for profit. And I think he could be an interesting mentor or board member mm. or, or or somehow get involved. So that's the first thing. Ooh, Second no thing way. that pops into mind is that uh, CEI Ventures is a triple bottom line venture capital fund. So, mm-hmm. so for them, they want to have not only financial returns, but also – impact on the employees, and you definitely check that button off big time, as well as being good for the environment. And you check that button off as well. Mm. And, and and they love later stage companies, which is exactly where you are. So mm. I would suggest that I can make those connections, that you talk to them, because uh, one of the important things to know is that venture capital comes in many shapes and sizes. And not all of them are trying to build the next Uber and trying to get, you know, a billion dollars. I I mean, there's certainly a role for those out there. But for Mm -hmm. people such as you who have fundamentally a mission that you want to change the world, but also do it through a profitable business, there may be some better matches in terms of uh, a venture capital. But, But they are out there. Okay, I didn't. I I didn't know that. I did not know that. Well, that that's my <laughs> job, right? Is to uh, help you at this really exciting moment for for you and your business to help you yep. make that transition and 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 help you get that capital. Now that it sounds like your your mind, your psyche is opening up to that to be able to go and fulfill that. You know, I've actually given a name to this. It's called the funding pivot. You've probably heard about the, you know, the pivot in terms of product or or channel. Well, you're actually a classic example of being sort of you've been a bootstrapper up until now and you've realized, you know what? I have these big goals. I can go do that. I think I need to do a funding pivot and uh and go make make all of those great things happen. And and that's exactly what it is because in order for me to realize my vision of a of a of at least a regional player and that that really helps roll up the home cleaning business but also trains and empowers and provides net environmental benefit I'm going to need capital to do that because I don't want that to take until I'm 65 years old you know I want that to happen faster than that and with the products same thing you yeah. know and whatever other projects I have like going yeah so. and and how old are you now Joe. 39. 39. Oh, that's a that's an awesome age. Back when I was doing venture capital, I thought that actually 38 was the perfect age to go launch a business because it was that right mixture of experience going up and energy, which does tend to go down over time. Uh, <laughs> but, but it sounds like you got plenty of energy to go make this happen. Well, good. So it, it sounds like uh, I'm going to be able to make some good connections for you here. Is there anything else um, that we haven't talked about that maybe I could be helpful on? I, I guess the only other thing I would say is that um, as part of this funding pivot, 
what it also empowers me to do is, you know, be able to surround myself with a team of people that can execute all of this for me and with me, you know, and that's, that gets me super excited because I, I love working with high performing people. And when I think about, you know, executing a vision like this over the next five, 10 years, it just gets me super excited to put that team together. So, well, that's terrific. Do you have a formal advisory board? Uh, I don't. Nope. I do have a document uh, about that. It's something that happens a lot in the tech space, but I mm. think it absolutely would be appropriate. And you're at a stage of development where you could attract some pretty interesting people to be mm-hmm. on a board that gives you advice about how to grow and fulfill your vision, but also gives you accountability, which is always mm-hmm. useful. But they're not a board of directors, so they can't fire you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of the reasons why they, they're very attractive to entrepreneurs is you're trying to get the best of both worlds. Yeah, no, and 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 I do like that. And I don't know if you if we've talked about – we ever really got into equity versus debt in this conversation. But, you know uh, – at heart, I'm an owner operator, I think, you know, and that is a, a mindset that I'm open to, to shifting for me, my own independence and is, is important. And so one of the things that's, that makes me hesitant about equity financing is the fact that I'm giving up a piece of my business to someone else. And that is something that I need to know more about, you know, because I know that like, I enjoy being the owner, you know, of whatever the thing is, because I ultimately have control, I ultimately have the say. And I like that, that feeling of autonomy, I wouldn't call it independence, because you know, I have 40 employees and 450 customers. And exactly right. You know, I can't just take off. But you know, um, but I, I, I think the degree of autonomy in, in is is something I enjoy and value. So for whatever that's worth. No, no, it, that's a very common issue. And mm-hmm. You're going to have to figure out what's right for yourself, but just uh, a couple things. First of all, because you've waited until you've run a profitable business that's growing and you don't actually need capital, you have a much greater leverage uh, with potential investors, depending on how big uh, a sum of money you're trying to raise. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that when you get into those situations, you know none of them really want to be running your company. They want yep. to be backing an owner-operator who absolutely is in charge and making 99.9% of the decisions. And there are some big okay. decisions that they want to weigh in. But generally, if you can find the right uh, kind of investors uh, who share your vision, and that's really important, that not all of them are going to share your vision, but if you can find them – and their own uh, vision of, of how they're going to make money aligns with mm-hmm. your vision, then then that can work really well as long as things are going well. Mm. And, and then one other point is that uh, one of the uses of forming an advisory board sooner rather than later is it gets you used to being somewhat accountable to a group of other people and reporting, and you get to see how it feels, you know, because mm-hmm. having a board of directors, I, I, I've had one when I ran the nonprofit Main Center for Entrepreneurial Development. 
I mm-hmm. didn't have a board of directors when I was running my acapella business because I also liked to be the one in charge. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going to have to figure out what's right for you uh, because there will be a trade-off between reaching the vision, perhaps, mm-hmm. and giving up a bit of control in order to do that. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, that's a journey. There's no single right answer. But, you know, that's one of the central issues that you're going to have to be thinking about. And we can have plenty of uh, off-the-air conversations about <laughs> that. And, yeah. and and it's probably good to talk to entrepreneurs who have been through it. And, again, make sure that as you're t- talking to potential investors that you're finding people whose vision is aligned with yours. Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think – that will probably wrap it up uh, for this interview, but thank okay. you very much for your time, and I look forward to uh, helping you uh, fulfill this dream. Yeah, I look forward to it too, Don. Thanks. That will wrap up this episode of The Funding Coach. We talked about a lot of things, so I don't think the next episode will be quite so in-depth as some of my other analysis shows. But I do want to talk about this big issue of how sometimes there's a conflict between executing your vision on the one hand and all of the things that come with funding on the other hand, including control, accountability, and financial risk. Please make sure you head on over to fourcolorsofmoney.com, where I've included some links and resources related to today's show, and you can leave your thoughts there about Joe and his funding challenge at the moment. Or you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. As I'm sure you're aware, reviews and ratings can make or break a new podcast, and currently I have a rather modest following as I'm recording this. So anything you can do to help promote the show would be greatly appreciated over at iTunes. I very much appreciate you listening, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon here on The Funding Coach.